Welcome to Transformed by Grace, an in-depth Bible study of God's Word, presented by the Berean Bible Society. Join us each time on this station as Pastor Kevin brings the transforming message of God's grace revealed through the Holy Scriptures. Zacharias tells about Charlie Peace, a criminal in England who on the day he was being taken to his execution, listened to a minister reading from the Word. When he realized what he was reading about heaven and hell, he looked at the preacher and said these words. He said, Sir, if I believed what you and your church says, even if England were covered with broken glass from coast to coast, I would walk over it on hands and knees and think it worthwhile living just to save one soul from an eternal hell like that. An everlasting hell is real. It exists. But God is not willing that any should perish, the Word of God says. He desires that all be saved from it by trusting His Son and His provision on their behalf. And Christ has sent us, His church, which are His ambassadors into this world to make the good news of His grace and salvation known. We do this being motivated by the love of Christ and being burdened by the great need of the unbelieving that they would be saved from their sins and from eternity in hell. And we learn in 1 Timothy 2, 1-4 that under grace, prayer is vitally important in sharing the gospel of grace. 1 Timothy 2, verse 1 says, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. As we continue to consider the question of how to pray under grace, we see here how the Apostle Paul urges the church, the body of Christ, to pray, and to pray in all its various forms, and to pray for all people. Paul's heart and desire for Timothy and for the whole church was that prayer be a priority for the Christian life. Paul exhorts Timothy that, first of all, he needed to pray. Before everything else he has to say to Timothy, he desires to press home the need for him to pray. Prayer is first in the order of importance and priorities when it comes to the subject of evangelism. A man went once went into a restaurant, plopped down at a table, said gruffly to his waitress, Do you serve crabs here? And the waitress said, Oh yes, we serve anybody. And so, we, as we pray, we pray with all these various kinds and forms of prayer. And as we do so, we serve anybody. We pray for all. We pray for everybody and for all people. Paul gives these exhortations for prayer based on what he has previously spoken about and what he is about to speak of. Paul had just spoken of the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which is committed to my, or to Paul's trust in 1 Timothy 1.11. Paul then gave his testimony of salvation and of the faithful and trustworthy saying that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and that Christ had saved him, the chief of sinners. In chapter 1, verse 16, Paul wrote how his salvation, Paul's salvation, is the pattern in this dispensation of grace for all others. 
that all are saved by the mercy, grace, and long-suffering of God, and that we just believe on Christ to life everlasting. In light of the gospel and the salvation of sinners, Paul says, I exhort therefore that, first of all, we pray, and that we pray for all people. In other words, we pray for all people's salvation. And we do so because of what Paul says afterwards, 1 Timothy 2.4, God desires all men to be saved. So when we pray for the salvation of souls, we pray with supplications or with specific requests. And we do so for groups of people. We should make specific requests for lands, for countries, for continents, for counties, for states, for communities, for cities, villages, and towns. And as we pray for the lost, we should pray specifically for individuals and for specific people, and we should do so by name. We should pray for our family members. We should pray for our neighbors. We should pray for our friends. We should pray for our co-workers or classmates by name. We supplicate or we ask for God's supply for them. We make defined intelligent requests and pray for their need of Christ and His salvation. We pray that the Holy Spirit would convict them of their sins. That He would convict them of their need for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray specifically for the right words when we talk to them. We pray for others to share the gospel with them as well. We pray for, for God to work in their lives through the things that they've heard and that the things that they go through so that they would stop and think and think about eternity and where they will spend it. We pray for God to clear the obstacles. We pray that God's Word might pierce their minds and soften their hearts and that they would see that their ideas and beliefs about life, death, and eternity are false, and that they would see the truth and believe it. And that's what it comes down to very basically, is that we just pray for them to believe. Just believe and be saved, believing that Christ died for their sins and rose again. We pray that the light of the glorious gospel of God might shine unto them, and that they might just trust it. We do this also with prayers, as Paul says here in verse 1. Within our praying without ceasing, as 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, as we talk and communicate uh, with our Lord throughout the day, we come into contact with different people during each day. And so we pray for those people. We pray for the people we see, the people we meet, the people we talk to. And we simply pray for them to believe. We do this even while we're talking to people. We can do two things at once. We pray while we're talking to them that they would be saved. Often this leads us to share, to plant the seed of the gospel. It also makes you consider your testimony for Christ before them. It changes how you talk to people, how you treat people, when you realize their infinite value to God, that God loves that person that Christ shed His blood for them and died for them, and God wants them to be saved. We pray and talk with the Lord, knowing that He cares deeply for all people, that He is long-suffering with the unbelieving, 
And He wants them to be reconciled to Him. As we pray for the salvation of lost souls, we also do so with intercessions, which again speaks of drawing near to Him within our personal relationship, having boldness and confidence to come to Him in prayer because of Christ's shed blood. But in drawing near to God, when you do so, you think with His mind and you look at people with His heart of love. Ed Wood has said that intercession is love on its knees. And so out of love, we speak personally with God. We pray on behalf of others, asking that the lost might hear the word of truth, the gospel of their salvation, and that they might believe it. We pray that the lost might know Him as we know Him. That they would trust Christ as we have trusted Christ and have that hope that they would enter into that beautiful, abiding, eternal relationship with God that we have and that we enjoy in which we have peace with God. We are righteous in Christ. We are forever forgiven and completely God's forever. And as we draw near, we know we can pray for boldness and that we should pray for boldness to share the gospel that we might not let opportunities pass us by because of fear. We pray to God for His strength through the Holy Spirit. We pray to God that He might increase our love for others around us in life. And we ask Him as we draw near to Him to use us, to use our lives, to use our efforts, to use our voice to tell others His gospel of grace, which saves people from eternity in hell. And on all of this, we give thanks as we pray. We give thanks on behalf of all people. We thank Him for His deep love for all. We thank Him that He desires all to be saved. We thank Him that He has made that possible through His Son. Verses 5 and 6 of this chapter read, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. God has been good to us, and we should be thankful that he has been good to all people as well. And his grace and love, his provision of salvation is available to every man, every woman, every child, and they all can be saved if they simply trust Christ alone. So we pray specifically, and we pray thankfully. We thank Him that He is gracious, that He is merciful, that He is long-suffering with sinners. We thank Him for this current dispensation of grace in which we live and in which He gives all the opportunity to be saved so simply by His grace through faith alone in Christ. And we thank Him for the eternal life in the home in heaven given to anyone who trusts Christ as their Savior. The following is Chuck Sackett's personal testimony. He wrote this. I grew up outside the church, but when I learned about the God and Country Award and the Boy Scouts, I wanted it. He said, if that meant going to church, then that's what I determined to do. Each week I walked from my house to the little church building in the next block. I walked past the Renards' home every time. And later, I worked for the Renards doing yard work for them. I attended that little church on the next block just long enough to get the award 
and then I quit. Twelve years later, after I became a believer and a preacher, I learned that Mr. and Mrs. Renard were in our nursing home nearby. Out of friendship for the family, my wife and I decided to pay them a visit. After a delightful visit, Gail and I turned to leave. I don't remember which one of them spoke, but I'll never forget what they said. Do you remember when you used to walk to that little church? We've not missed one day since praying that God would do something in your life. For 12 years, this elderly couple prayed for me every day, prayed that God would one day do something in my life. I had no other Christian influence at that time, but eventually I became a believer and a preacher. He says, I was prayed into heaven and into the ministry. There is simply no other explanation. As we pray under grace, Paul exhorts the church by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to pray for unbelievers, to pray for their salvation, to pray for all people because all have the opportunity to be saved. And we should pray for those who even seem beyond hope because we know that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask. We'll be returning to the program in just a minute. But first, we'd like to take this time to thank you, our partners, for making these programs possible. If you would like to access our library of helpful Bible study tools, go to BereanBibleSociety.org. True Spirituality is a hardcover 209-page book written by Pastor Cornelius Stamm, founder of the Berean Bible Society. This book is a practical guide to living the Christian life. We should all long to be truly spiritual. But what is true spirituality? This is the question Pastor Stamm seeks to answer by the scriptures rightly divided. True spirituality also deals with the many mistaken ideas as to spirituality, putting them to the Berean test and demonstrating how they destroy, rather than promote, true fellowship with God. To order your copy, contact the Berean Bible Society for pricing and availability at 262-255-4750 or visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. To receive our free full-color 32-page monthly magazine, The Berean Searchlight, call 262-255-4750 or subscribe online at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. Thank you again for your generous gifts. And now, back to the teaching with Pastor Kevin. 1 Timothy 2, 2-3 read, For kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. As we pray for all people, Paul says we should also pray specifically for kings and for all that are in authority. We're taught here to pray for political rulers and governmental leaders. Two little old ladies were walking around an overcrowded country churchyard and came upon a tombstone that was inscribed, Here lies John Smith, a politician and an honest man. 
One of the ladies said, that's awful that they put two people in one grave. Many political leaders are hostile to God and His Word, and for believers, it can be easy for us to be, for them to become targets of animosity, bitterness, and frustration. But as we pray under grace, we're taught to realize their spiritual need, and that they are sinners for whom Christ died, and that they can be saved. They're part of the ones that, of which God says that he would have all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So even if we can't respect the person or what they stand for, the instruction of God's word is that we are to respect the office and out of grace we are to pray for them. Paul instructed Titus in the church at Crete in Titus 3, 1 and 2 to put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers and to obey magistrates. God loves all people, including all governmental leaders, and no matter how just or unjust, moral or immoral, honest or dishonest, we are to be prayerful for these men and these women, praying for their salvation and for godly change in our country as a result. Because the gospel is the answer. Christ is the answer. Paul says we pray for our leaders so we may live a quiet and peaceable life. Now, the word quiet there speaks of not being troubled or disturbed from without. And peaceable speaks of not being troubled or disturbed from within, having that inner tranquility. The church under grace is to pray for kings. In other words, for the ruler with the highest authority. And also for all of those in the various echelons of governmental authority. We pray for them that they might trust Christ as their Savior. And so... As a result, that the gospel would be unhindered and able to be spread freely with all people. We pray for them so that in the practice and promoting of our faith to all people, we will be able to do so without restriction or limitation within stable political conditions, not being troubled from without or from within by these governmental leaders. And we pray we might be able to continue preaching, continue teaching, continue telling others the good news, and to continue to assemble for public worship of God, something that's dependent on our rights under law, law which is upheld and enforced by all they that are in authority. And in our lives, in the practice of our responsibilities toward God, and the duty that we owe to all people in our ministries and evangelism, Paul desired we live our lives in all godliness and honesty. The church needs to be a consistent witness and testimony for Christ. Our behavior makes the sharing of our faith real and believable. Part of evangelism is living a life of godliness and honesty. Leading a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, which is a life that's transformed by the grace of God, presents the unbeliever with a contrast to what they see all around them at all times and what they often experience. Because most people's lives are filled with chaos, turmoil, and distress, and they don't experience quietness and peace that we have in Christ. A faithful believer whose life is led by the peace of God and whose faith is put into practice in all godliness and honesty is a powerful witness and a bright light for the gospel in this dark world. 
This exhortation to pray for all people, including leaders in government, praying for their salvation. This, Paul says in verse 3, is good and acceptable. It's right and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. And as we live with our focus on pleasing the Lord and not man, doing what is good and acceptable in God's sight is what is most important. That should be our foremost aim in life. And praying for the unbelieving to be saved. Leading a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. That is good and acceptable in God's sight. But you also see the heart of God here as He's called God our Savior. Out of love and grace, God desires all to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He wants to save people from their sins and from the lake of fire. And He wants to save people from error and false beliefs. As we pray for people's souls, we are praying consistent with knowing God, our Savior, and knowing His heart. And we are praying for something of real meaning and eternal importance. 1 Timothy 2, verses 4-6 to read, Who will have all men to be saved, and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. The word will in verse 4 does not refer to God's determinate purpose, but rather to His will of desire. God our Savior desires all to be saved. God desires all to be saved from eternal death and separation from Him and from the horrors of the lake of fire that await those who do not trust Christ and who die in their sins. Out of His heart for people to be saved, Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. God the Father, our Savior, planned and purposed our redemption And in His love for the world, He gave His only begotten Son to die for our sins at the cross of Calvary. Christ Jesus, our Savior, in His love and grace, willingly came to the world to save sinners, 1 Timothy 1.15 says. And He, the one one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, gave Himself a ransom for all, verses 5-6 through say here. There is one God, verse 5 says, and only one way to God, only one way of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man, the perfect mediator between God and man, the one who is fully God and fully man. And Christ reconciles. He brings God and man together when any man, woman, or child trusts Christ as their personal Savior. He has made all of that possible because of His sacrifice on our behalf, because He gave Himself a ransom for all and willingly paid our sin debt at the cross. He bore our sin. He faced God's just wrath and judgment against sin in our place at the cross, and He paid sin's penalty for us. That word ransom speaks of a price paid to free a slave. And so Christ gave Himself and paid the ransom to free us from the bondage and slavery of sin. All those who trust His payment for their sins are ransomed, redeemed, set free from sin, and saved from the wrath of God to come. 
Through many hardships and bitter experiences, an Olympic high diver had come to the point in his life that he denied the existence of God. From his youth, he had been exposed to the cross and the gospel, but had rejected it time and again. While training for the Olympics, the high diver went to his Olympic training facility after hours one summer evening. The facility was closed and it was dark inside, but the place was lit by a skylight in the full moon, which was out that night. The high diver climbed to the top of the high dive, went to make his first jump with his back to the pool, and he stretched out his arms as he prepared to jump. When he did, he saw that the moonlight had cast a shadow on the wall in front of him, and with his arms outstretched, it made the figure of a cross. The high diver, who had come to the end of himself in recent days, fell to his knees and accepted Christ as his personal Savior and entered into eternal life right there on that high dive. As he sat there in tears, a maintenance man yelled up to him, Stay where you are and don't jump. The pool below you is empty and has been drained in order to be cleaned. If you have not trusted Christ as your personal Savior, you are in danger. You are in danger every day of your life because we never know when our lives might end. What you are in danger of is the eternal judgment of the lake of fire. But God in His love and grace has provided the way for you to be saved from this. And it is God's desire for, your, for you to be saved from eternity in the lake of fire. But you must make that personal decision to trust what God has done for you. Just trusting that Christ died for your sins and rose again, you are saved. You are saved the moment you believe the good news that Christ as your substitute paid for your sins at the cross and that He rose again. Out of God's love for all people, He has provided eternal salvation for all as a free gift but only those who receive it by faith are saved. It's been rightly put that the redeeming death of the Savior is sufficient for all, deficient for none, but efficient only for those who believe. Have you believed? Our prayer for you is that you would believe and trust Christ as your Savior and know the joy of the forgiveness of all of your sins, having peace with God and an eternal home in heaven. Thank you for watching this episode of Transformed by Grace. Join us next time when we'll be looking at the importance of praying for others to come to the full knowledge of the truth. For nearly 80 years, the Berean Bible Society has endeavored to encourage believers everywhere to study God's Word. With this foundation, the believer is equipped to grow spiritually and energized to effectively share the gospel. Through the tools of both traditional and electronic media, we are positioned to reach our world well into the coming generations. Streaming lessons, printed materials, audio teachings, and daily devotionals are all available at the BereanBibleSociety.org. Thank you again for tuning in to Transformed by Grace. We appreciate your prayer support and the financial gifts. 
The purpose and mission of the Berean Bible Society is to help you understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. For more information, visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org or give us a call at 262-255-4750. Or if you prefer, write us at the Berean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.